if I blow your brains out, I could kiss it better. Kiss me, I'm the monster that you made. Yeah, you made me. Now I'm just like you, so don't complain. Yeah, you made me do the things you like, hoping you'd stay. Okay, kiss me, I'm the monster that you made. You made me. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and this week on My Turning Point, we are joined by Jesse Reyes. This was a really fun, very interesting conversation, talking about some of her collaborators, how she came up in Toronto, doing shows at the drive-in and car hopping, and a lot of other things. Really enjoyed talking with Jesse. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Now, you're still, are you still based in Toronto, correct? Yeah. So one of my good friends is there, and, and it's funny, one of my good friends from L.A., and we messaged all the time. And she was sending me pictures the other day of her snow-covered driveway. So has yeah. it gotten better there? Yeah, definitely has gotten better. The sun is shining. It's still a deceiving sun because it's not like it's hella hot outside. But it's, 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 if you live in Toronto, you kind of already know and accept that the weather's bipolar. So it's just... <laughs> I like that description of it, you know, bipolar weather. Because yeah. again, I mean, it would, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, when it starts snowing in May, people are like, what, you know... Because I'm in Long Beach. It's, you know, 70-something, literally perfect. And she was just like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's She's nice. like, nope, yep. But you guys are doing I just got a note uh, from a publicist friend of mine, a very good publicist friend, that July Talk have announced some drive-in shows at, uh, in Toronto in August. So, you know, I love the fact that you guys are, not surprisingly, ahead of us uh, again with stuff. So now I'm just so curious. A, if you could go see any artist perform at the drive-in, not the band at the drive-in, but any artist perform at a drive-in, who would it be for you? Kid Cudi. Ooh, or Frank Ocean. Damn. Kid Cudi or Frank Ocean. Nice. Okay. You didn't really have to think of it. Well, you did for a second, but you kind of had that gut answer first. And Mm -hmm. then the second part is, you know, as this starts to happen and take place, and it's funny, I know you were supposed to tour with Billy, who I became very friendly with. And, you know, Phineas is a friend, actually. I did an interview with him at NAMM for hundreds of people, you know, so I know that you have this like really exciting stuff happening. But as everyone is pivoting and removing, like, would you do drive-in shows? Is that something that you're interested in? Or what kind of stuff are you looking at to be able to just do something kind of different? Maybe, man. I mean, shoot. I feel like we're kind of all in a state of limbo right now and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Um, I, I'm not mad at a drive-in idea. That's kind of, that's kind of cool. It's kind of dope. There won't be much stage diving, which sucks, but still be, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I could do like car hopping and we could still stay like the five feet distance and I could just hop around from car roof to car roof and that would be dope. But you could have everybody put their windows up and then just jump from hood to hood. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) There you go. I mean, all right. It's funny. So by the way, I'm going to jump back because, you know, typically the way the format of this works is I start with this question called what's your turning point moment that then takes us into the interview. But because you're in Toronto and because I literally just got that email 10 minutes ago, I thought that was such a cool thing. I kind of had to ask about that. But so the framework of the podcast version of this and it's for both the podcast and Forbes is the what's your turning point moment. And everyone from freaking, you know, ASAP Berg and Flea and Megan Trainer to Incubus and all these dead mouse have done it. So, and there is, you know, some people go very personal, some people go very musical. 
you know, and there's really no right or wrong answer. It's just kind of a curious thing to see, you know, if you had to pick one sort of turning point moment in your life that led you to, you know, being where you are today, what would you pick? And it could just be one, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be anything you want, yeah. I think uh, that when I joined this, this, it's this program in Toronto called the Remix Project, um, and it's a it's like free school for at-risk youth, like kids from 16 to 24 go in. And um, people that are graduates that have seen success come back and they speak as mentors. For me, my whole life, I always knew that music was home, you know? So I've been chasing it for a long time. But there's this disconnect when you're creative and and your goals for the future are being told from outside perspective that they have to be something more realistic because institutions aren't set up for creatives. A lot of people, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, a lot of painters get told, get a plan B. You got to go to school. You got to get a diploma. You got to make sure you have a plan B. This this shit ain't going to pay, blah, blah, blah. And so I feel like what the Remix Project did for me by putting mentors in the room who had seen success, they were able to bridge that gap because as a kid, it was me watching music videos and like, watching the Grammy Awards and watching like watching all this shit on a screen. So I couldn't bridge it because it was so far removed and institutions and school was telling me I needed to live my life a different way. But because they brought someone that was human, someone that was like, could bleed like me, could talk like me, could walk like me and talked about not just their successes, but their failures and what it took. I feel like that just kind of accelerated me into getting into this mindset of you could do it. I could do it. Like it made it, it made it human. It made it more of a possibility. So that place changed my life. That's awesome. It's interesting for you. Have you gone back then and, and been a mentor? Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been back a few, like multiple times. I love that place. Like they're, one of their founders is actually a really good friend of mine now has helped me, helped me a lot still with like life advice as a friend, even stuff with kiddo. And it's just, it's a, it's one of those things that once you graduate, you're kind of, you're, you're remix fam for life. It's kind of like that. Yeah, no, it's funny because I did a program called Grammy Camp for like 13 years. And it's, I mean, it's probably like the most rewarding thing to work with students and, and see this change. And it's so interesting to be able to have that perspective and then go back from the other side. So for you, having been able to go back now being a success and talk with them about it, what, what to you has been like your proudest moment as a mentor? you know, getting to talk with these kids and, and to see a response. Cause you know, what's so cool about it too, is you get that personal interaction. Yeah. Um, I think hearing from like, I think hearing from a lot of kids that they found out, they found out about the program or joined the program because they've heard me talk about it in an interview. I think that's, that's beautiful, you know? Cause yeah. I heard about it through a fluke. I heard about it through some, cause I used to spam my shit on like Facebook and I spammed someone who ended up becoming my manager randomly on Facebook because I was just like, you, you used to be able to go on and look up empl- like um, employers. So like I could search up radio stations and see who was affiliated with the radio station, you know? So I would do that and music videos and whatever. And so I found him and I, and I messaged him, uh, um, a link to my music video and eventually we like we started talking more and he told me about the remix project so I and and look how much that changed my life just someone telling me that this opportunity was available to me so the fact that like people in charge of uh, remix project admissions and submissions and stuff have told me that their numbers 
have gone up significantly since I've started talking about it more. That kind of stuff, I think, just makes me feel really proud that maybe one of those seeds, maybe one of those ripples could lead to the experience that I'm having right now, you know? Well, I think one of the things that's so cool about it too is when you're in a program like that, it both op- it opens you up both ways to the idea of mentoring, but also you open up to the idea that you can still learn a lot from people and that kind of you know process of, of being open to education sticks with you your whole life. So I'm so curious, I mean, in the people that you've worked with or being around the industry, are there people then that you've really you know learned a lot from either by talking with or just simply by watching them and how they handle themselves? Because again, I think coming from the education, you have that perspective of like, all right, I can still learn stuff as opposed to some people who are like, ah, shit, I know everything. Yeah, no, I've definitely like, the whole idea of mentorship is something that I wish more people just just understood the value of that because there's mentors that I have in the industry that I've learned so much from like Calvin Harris, for example. There's, 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 so much genius that I've been able to be around in studios that it's like, it's just hard to, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to list, but like the way that he approaches a song and approaches melody, the way that Babyface once, like I, I, when I was in the studio with Babyface, I used to, and I still do, like I, I forget melodies often, uh, like lyrics are easy to come, but melodies, I always need to be recording them and stuff. But I used to write down everything. And I remember one day I was like, oh, I got to get my book. I got to write it down. And Babyface was like, not just like, if it's good enough, it'll just stick. You'll just remember. And I thought that that was the wickedest piece of advice. And working with this guy named Germ, who's a musician that I admire so much, the way that he would be able to build entire songs with his eyes closed and just go internal, I've learned from him, um, from Kalani and just being friendly and being authentic and being warm and not approaching new people with fear, but just being open armed. Like I, I, I take those things because I've gone through a lot. I've gone through a lot and I have a lot of trust issues. So to feel like you meet somebody that shows you that you don't have to be as worried and you could just be open. Like I've learned from her. I've learned from, I've learned from a lot of people, man. And I've been, I've been really fortunate to have the collaborators that I've had because I've literally learned something from everybody that I've worked with. Well, it's so interesting. So then when you come on to Before Love Came to Kill Us and when you get to put it all together in a body of work, so this is something that always fascinates me because I talk about this with so many artists is look, when you're making a record, right? You're in the midst of it. It's an exciting thing. You're caught up in it. You don't really get a lot of perspective on it. It's only when a record is done and you can go back and listen to it. And this is particularly interesting because obviously you've had more time to listen to it now than most people would otherwise because of all that's happened. But it's it's only when you listen to it that you get to sort of put everything together and, and find all these different elements that come into it. Like Brandon Boyd from Incubus is a friend and I always thought this was fascinating. He said that it takes him two years to figure out what every Incubus record is about because it's only with that perspective of looking back at it that you can say like, oh, okay, I know what I was writing about there. So for you, when you go back and listen to Before Love Came to Kill Us, are there things that you can like sort of, you know, those elements that you put together from everybody that really kind of, you know, either stand out to you or that you appreciate or that when you were making it, you're like, oh shit, I didn't even realize I learned that from Calvin or Pilani or Eminem or whoever it is. And when you go back and listen to it, you're like, oh, that's cool. Now I see where that came from. Um, and that was a long question. So do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. But to be honest, I don't ever, I don't really consciously do that. I don't ever look back at, uh, 
I don't like looking back, trying to assess my work backwards. I'm not a fan of doing that because I feel like the, when I do that, it makes me want to nitpick and it makes me want to like, <laughs> it makes me want to nitpick and it makes me want to change stuff. And I used to have a bad habit of doing that, but I, I don't want to do that after it's out in the world. It's not, it's not mine anymore. You know what I mean? I know what oh, yeah. I, when I was in the studio, I know what I went when I was talking about it, but I don't, I don't ever really assess it after the fact. I just let it be. And yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I don't really do that. Yeah, no, it's funny because most artists, again, and it's interesting, like when you talk about it with artists, you know, 99.9% .9 of artists don't go back and listen to their own work because every artist is so self-critical. It is hard to do so. So it's interesting. It's probably like for a lot of artists, it, it's only you go back and revisit it either when you're, you know, getting ready to play stuff live or when you are doing a retrospective where you reach the point of a greatest hits or something like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, so when your shit comes on, when you hear it on streaming or you're in a store or whatever, well, you know, back when you could go in stores, things like that. It's funny because most artists don't listen to their stuff. Like I always remember Alison Mossart from The Kills telling me this and I freaking love this. She's telling me, she's like, oh, I was in a bar once and she's like, I heard this song and I'm like, this is a really cool song. It took her a minute and a half to figure out it was one of her songs. No you know? way. Yeah. Because she's like, I don't listen to my shit. So it's like, you're in a bar, you're not expecting to hear it. And she's, it was one of the songs she did with Jack White and Dead Weather, but she's like, oh, this is a cool song. And it took her a minute and a half to figure it out. So for you, is there stuff then that when you hear it kind of spontaneously, you can't appreciate or again, you go back to it and you're like, oh yeah, that is really cool. And I, I put it this way, right? Look, every artist is, as I say, their own worst critic. Every artist is always looking at it and saying, I can do this better. I can do this better. I can do this better. But the thing is you do find those little moments of happiness or like, you know, or you're like appreciation and stuff you do. And those kind of become the building blocks for what it is you want to do going forward. So putting it another way, are there moments in before love came to kill us where you're like, I hear that one little bit. And it's like, that's what I want the next record to be. Because I say this with the caveat too of understanding every artist, the minute they finish their first record is already thinking about the next record. Yeah. Um, I mean, shit, there's elements in certain songs where I feel like I was able to get potent as hell within the span of five words and or within like within the span of a sentence. I feel like I was able to embody what a lot of the record is. Like, for example, in the first song, Do You Love Her? I think that the lyric, I'm, I'm really proud of the lyric, Kiss Me, I'm the Monster That You Made. Because I feel like it covers such a wide range of the spectrum of what the human, what, what the natural human emotion is when you're hurt by the person you love the most. Because kiss me, I'm the monster that you made is, yo, I still need love. Even though you broke me, even though you made me this, I still need your love. And I don't think it's healthy. And that's why I see myself as a monster. But it's a reflection of how you see yourself and also a reflection of what you need, whether or not it's healthy. It's just truth. I feel like in Kill Us, when I say... Um, Nobody gets out of love alive. We either break up when we're young or we say goodbye when we die. I'm proud of those, I'm proud of those lyrics because I feel like I was able to encompass what it is to love, like what the human experience is in life and why so many of us are scared to love is partly because we know that no matter what, it ends in pain, no matter what, it ends in goodbye. And the only way that you can see a bright side of that is if you think about the afterlife and if you believe in your reincarnation or if you believe in your spirits reuniting or even your atoms reuniting, if you believe in that, then there's, there's some comfort. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's just, I think it's just in, for me, a lot of those moments are in the lyrics. Anytime that I feel like I was, like it couldn't get any more potent, I feel 
proud and I feel like that's the little that's the little Easter egg that I want to follow forever not just for my next record but forever I just want to make sure I'm always being as honest and truthful as possible to my experience so it's interesting for you as a songwriter then what do you look at that and there's art those artists that you know are those people that you admire or that kind of become an inspiration you know in terms of that openness and vulnerability because like you said not everybody can do that I mean it, it is a skill set absolutely to put yourself out there that much and and for some people you know it's funny as songwriters it is hard to do so. Mm-hmm. So for you, who are those people that you looked at or that you admire for the way that they're, you know, or like going back, it's funny because you said that you grew up watching videos. Do you remember the first song that it just spoke to you where you like, you have that feeling where you're just like, oh shit, how are they in my head? Um, I think that, I think, hmm, I think the first song that ever felt like it got like injected into my bloodstream, like injected, like I just felt it in me was uh, Otis Redding, Try a Little Tenderness. That's the first song I remember lying down in my bed and just like t- tears. And I was little, I don't even know what the hell I was crying about, but I think I was like 11 or 12. I, I would ask me what an 11, 12 year old is doing crying in the middle of their bed, but that's the song that I think like, that's one of the first ones that injected me, man. And creators that, I feel like I've done that to me throughout my life, like just injected me with their music. And I feel like it just becomes integral to me as a creator. Like you can't help but get influenced is, is Amy Winehouse. I remember hearing Back to Black and feeling seen. I remember hearing Back to Black and feeling like I had a friend, you know? Yeah. And it's fucked when you're going through depression and you got people, if you're, if you're going through depression and you're lucky enough to have people who look out for you and love you, it's beautiful. But it feels like you're in a hole and people are outside and people are saying, yo, don't worry, you'll get over it. When you fall in love and you get your heart broken the first time, you think that's the end of the world. And they're telling you, now nah, there's life after you'll get over it. You don't believe nobody because they're in the sun and you're in the dark and you think you're in this hole by yourself. But when you hear music and that music sounds like your twin, that shit is, that shit is, it's just, it impacted me so much. And I just remember hearing pain in songs that look just like mine. Uh, I'm going to seek in one, this last question, one word answer, maybe two words, because I've been asking this of everybody for Forbes round of question. What is your favorite 70s song? And I just geek out on these questions and then put them together. But for me, it's like fascinating. So favorite 70s song. Is this 70s? I'd like to party. What song is that? You know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. Now I can't place it, damn it. I want to say it's maybe Earth, Wind, and Fire. I think it is Earth, Wind, and Fire. I know it got featured a lot in, uh, in um, Charlie's Angels. Okay. Yeah, that's my answer. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for the time, man. I've been trying to make this happen for a very long time, so I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for making time. Have a good day. Cool. You too. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been tuned into My Turning Point this week with special guest Jesse Reyes. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Like I said, it was a really fun one and very fascinating and very cool to talk with her. And hopefully we'll see her hopping on cars at drive-ins around the world soon. Thanks.
looking to discover student loans? What you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 